hello, hello, humans of Minnesota and of the world, since this show is podcast. How are you? This is Ellie Krug, your resident idealist. Um, and I'm here to talk with you, give you another hour of Ellie 2.0 Radio. And thank you so very much for allowing me to occupy a part of your brains. Thank you. Happy February to you, and February is um, Black Heritage, Black History Month, and I am going to dedicate this show, which is an Ellie Talking Head show, we don't have an interview, I'm dedicating this show to black history, and to talking about black, I I I black idealists um, who helped to make the world a better place. Um, you know, and I'm going to tell you, I understand this as an as a white person um, speaking about black history and black identity and and all of the things wound up into that that this is fraught with all kinds of risk and issues and I will readily admit that I cannot understand what it means to be black in America and that I start with a huge deficit in understanding and in experience yet I am a huge ally of the black community. And so, um, this show is my very humble attempt at allyship. So let us begin. I want to begin first with um, Howard Thurman, a black idealist who until recently was not really known in present time, but who is widely credited with fostering significant black-white religious collaborations, and most importantly, Reverend Thurman and his example helped shape the thinking of Dr. King and his colleagues in a profound way. Now, some of what I'm going to uh, tell you about is from a CNN piece about Reverend Thurman. Some of it is from my trusty source, Wikipedia. Reverend Thurman was born in Florida in 1899. His maternal grandmother, Nancy Ambrose, um, had been a slave in Madison County, Florida. Um, Reverend Thurman was raised mainly by his mother and his grandmother after his father died when he was seven years old. His father died of pneumonia. Um, the family was immersed in the black Baptist faith, and uh, religion was critical. In fact, um, Reverend Thurman credits his grandmother really um, with instilling in him the most basic and important principles about religion and theology. After the eighth grade, because that's only as far as schools went in the 1910s in Florida for black children, uh, he was enrolled in the Florida Baptist Academy. It was a boarding school and one of only three high schools available to black Floridians in the 19, early 1900s. Did you, you heard me on that, right? Only three black high schools in Florida in the 19, early 1900s, 1910s. After he graduated um, uh, from there, he went to Morehouse College, graduated from there, and then went to a seminary in Roanoke, Roanoke Virginia. Eventually, he went to Atlanta, Reverend Thurman did, where he taught religion and philosophy at Morehouse and Spelman Colleges, both of which are historically black colleges, one for Morehouse for men and Spelman for women. Eventually, Reverend Thurman made his way to San Francisco in 1944, where he helped to establish the first racially integrated and intercultural church in the United States. The church was known as the Church of Fellowship for All People, um, he was co-pastor of that church with a white minister, Dr. Alfred uh, Fisk. Ten years later, so in now into the 50s, Reverend Thurman was at Boston University, where he became the first black dean of Marsh Chapel, and he was on the faculty of Boston University School of Theology. Now, I'm going to just detour here for a second, and just um, uh, Boston University, I'm a Boston College graduate, there's a huge uh, rivalry between BU and BC. But on the civil rights front, on the American change the world front, change the American world front, Boston University looms large. Not only did it have Reverend Thurman, in a second I'm going to tell you it also had um, Dr. King, but more recently, Boston University was the um, 
uh, is the alma mater of uh, Ocasio-Cortez, Alexandria, AOC. And so, just so you know, BU, um, very rocking it. Um, it was also the home of Elie Wiesel um, after, um, after he came to the United States. So, all right, enough of that. Let's go back. Um, so, Reverend Thurman goes to Boston University where he is, you know, he oversees Marsh Chapel, which looms large for the uh, theology world and, and the religious community in Boston. Um, and, uh, and, and, and a historical note, while Dr. Thurman, well, excuse me, Reverend Thurman was at Morehouse College when he was going there, he actually met Dr. King's father, known as, um, as a Daddy King, uh, and he met him, uh, and became friends with him. So, in the, in the, in the early 1950s, one of the students at Boston University was Dr. King. He went there to uh, get his uh, doctorate in theology. And while he was there, he and Reverend Thurman uh, struck up a friendship, a mentorship. And Reverend Thurman became instrumental in helping Dr. King understand various um, religious and theology concepts. Um, and, and in fact, they became friends as well. Um, on Sunday afternoons, Dr. King would uh, uh, visit uh, Reverend Thurman at his house and they would watch um, baseball, particularly Jackie Robinson uh, playing baseball on television. So they, were, so they had a mentor-mentee relationship as well as a friendship relationship, as well as um, Reverend Thurman was uh, uh, Dr. King's spiritual advisor. Now, by this time, by the mid-50s, Reverend Thurman had lived in different parts of America, and he had come to understand the power of working together uh, to build coalitions, the power of uniting rather than dividing, and the power, most importantly, the power of nonviolence, um, nonviolent action. He had traveled, Reverend Thurman had traveled to India um, before getting to BU, where he had met uh, Mohandas Gandhi um, and, and spoke with Gandhi about his philosophy of nonviolent resistance. And, and in fact, Gandhi believed that uh, America's blacks were the next place, would be the next bastion of uh, nonviolent resistance in the world. Dr. Thurman, excuse me, Reverend Thurman took all of that in. He was also a doctor, of course, because he had a PhD. But... Um, uh, before getting to BU, Reverend Thurman had written a book uh, titled Jesus and the Disinherited, in which he criticized otherworldly Christianity. Um, and he, he defined that as something where people in power um, and who were strong uh, were against the weak and the oppressed. Uh, the book, Jesus and the Disinherited, highlighted Jesus as a Jew, part of an oppressed minority group, working to free that group from oppression. Reverend Thurman then went on to develop a philosophy that one's religious experience is dynamic and fluid. He said, quote, whether I'm black, white, Presbyterian, Baptist, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, in the presence of God, all of these categories by which we rate the other fade away, unquote. Remember this, because in a second I'll talk about something that Dr. King wrote after he became very active um, in the civil rights movement. Altogether, Reverend Thurman wrote 20 books on theology, religion, and philosophy. He spoke extensively across America, and in 1953, Life magazine rated him among the 12 most important religious leaders in the U.S., but among his most notable speeches was one that he gave at, at the ripe old age of 80 at the 1980 commencement address at Spelman College. It's called The Sound of the Genuine Speech. Um, there's no recording of this, and you're going to have to put up with me uh, reading a few lines. And so, bear with me. The speech is The Sound of the Genuine um, it's a speech that he gave at the 1980 commencement at Spelman College, as I said. And here you go. Quote, There is something in everyone that waits, listens for the sound of the genuine in yourself. And if you cannot hear it, 
you will never find whatever it is for which you are searching. And if you hear it and then do not follow it, it was better that you had never been born. The sound of the genuine is flowing in you. Don't be deceived and thrown off by all the noises that are a part of your gen of even your dreams, your ambitions, so that you don't hear the sound of the genuine in you, because that is the only true guide that you will ever have. And if you don't have that, you don't have a thing. Hold on, there's a little bit more and I'm almost done. Bear with me. This is what you look for in your children when you have them. This is what you look for in your husband if you get one. That I can run the risk of radical exposure and know that the eye that beholds my vulnerability will not step on me. That I can feel secure in my awareness of the active presence of my own idiom in me. So as I live my life then, this is what I am trying to fulfill. It doesn't matter whether I become a doctor, lawyer, housewife. I'm secure because I hear the sound of the genuine in myself and have learned to listen to that. I can become quiet enough, still enough, to hear the sound of the genuine in you. Now, if I hear the sound of the genuine in me, and if you hear the sound of the genuine in you, it is possible for me to go down in me and come up in you. So that when I look at myself through your eyes, having made that pilgrimage, I see in me what you see in me, and the wall that separates and divides will disappear, and we will become one, because the sound of the genuine makes the same music. Unquote. Reverend Thurman, an idealist influenced by living as a black man, a man who met Gandhi, a man who tutored and nurtured Dr. King, understood the power of human authenticity and the need for all humans to live as who they are. When we come back from our break, I'll share some more about black idealists and the impact they've had in America. Thank you. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Hi, it's Tom Hartman, and this Valentine's Day, I want you to stop at Continental Diamond in St. Louis Park. Jimmy and Helene Pessis have created a family atmosphere where generations of Twin City customers have made it their jewelry store. At Continental Diamond, you can shop without pressure because no one works on commission. In addition to the outstanding selection of jewelry and watches, on Valentine's Day only, they'll be hosting R.J. Kramer flowers and Lemore chocolates for those last-minute shoppers. Continental Diamond, adjacent to the West End in St. Louis Park, and at ContinentalDiamond.com. We are given the gift of intuition on how to care for ourselves and our families. But too often we forsake that knowledge for the voice of authority. Green Tea Conversations is a radio show for people like you who are on a journey to take responsibility for their health and who want to play a more active role in their family's well-being. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, publisher of the Twin Cities edition of Natural Awakenings magazine, and I'm excited to bring Green Tea Conversations into your home. Join me every Sunday at 10 a.m. as I interview local experts straight from the pages of Natural Awakenings who will share progressive ideas in the latest natural approaches in nutrition, fitness, creative expression, personal growth, and sustainable living in a fun and informative way. Podcasts of the show are available anytime at naturaltwincities.com, am950radio.com, on iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. So grab a cup of tea and join the conversations on Sundays at 10 a.m. as we awaken to natural health. 
What kind of a jackass would let an animal pick their insurance? Did you really think a lizard could save you money on car insurance? Would you let a duck pick your health policy? Insurance can be a zoo, but this is ridiculous. What you really need is an insurance agent that isn't looking out for the insurance companies. You need Cheryl at Array, an independent agent with 30 years experience looking for the best rate possible. Quit monkeying around and call 763-504-3067. That's 763-504-3067 for Cheryl at Array, representing you, not the insurance companies. Crooner's Lounge and Supper Club is delighted to offer its spacious facilities for your private function. From weddings, retirement parties, business dinners, or any special occasion, Crooner's combines a dedicated, full-service special events team, an award-winning chef, and a beautiful lakeside ambiance to make your event a resounding success. Visit croonersloungemn.com to learn more about their private dining options, or call 763-571-9020 to get a quote for your next event today. On AM 950, uh, Ellie 2.0 Radio, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug. Um, you know, this is, uh, I am talking about black history. I'm trying to honor our African-American um, humans. Um, and, and I don't know how good a job I'm doing it. I'm doing a lot. I'm going to be doing a lot of reading. In a second, I'm going to play you a clip. But I just want to note that I have a saying that we all ripple to each other. And that rippling can be good or it can be bad. I'd like to think that idealists, what we're trying to do is to make that rippling positive, to make it good. And what I just read to you about Reverend Thurman really was about that last clip about, you know, um, seeing, seeing the power of authenticity in each other. I, and those are my words, not his, but that, that seeing that in each other, that is about rippling. So for this sec second segment here, I want to—I do want to talk about Dr. King, um, but only a, a brief window. I mean, Dr. King is worthy of seven shows, uh, not just um, a, a short segment here. But but I want to set the stage a little bit about what I'm going to talk about, and um, I, I want—I'm going to play you a clip of an interview that Dr. King, a brief interview that he gave in 1967 where he talked about oppression and he talked about why the landscape is so much different as it relates to black Americans. And so here's the clip. What is it about the Negro? I mean, every other group that came as an immigrant somehow, not easily, but somehow got around it. Is it just the fact that Negroes are black? White America must see that no other ethnic group has been a slave on American soil. Uh, that is one thing that other immigrant groups haven't had to face. The other thing is that the color became a stigma. American society made the Negroes' color a stigma. America freed the slaves in 19, I mean 1863 through the Emancipation Proclamation of Abraham Lincoln, but gave the slaves no land are nothing in reality, and as a matter of fact, to, to get started on. At the same time, America was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that there was a willingness to give the white peasants from Europe an economic base. And yet it refused to give its black peasants from Africa who came here involuntarily in chains and had worked free for 244 years any kind of economic base. And so emancipation for the Negro was really freedom to hunger. It was freedom uh, to the winds and rains of heaven. It was freedom without food to eat or land to cultivate. And therefore it was freedom and famine at the same time. And when white Americans tell the Negro to lift himself by his own bootstraps, they don't, they don't look over the legacy of slavery and segregation. I believe we ought to do all we can and seek to lift ourselves by our own bootstraps. But uh, it's a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And many Negroes, by the thousands and millions, have been left bootless as a result of all of these years of oppression and as a result of a society that deliberately made his color 
a stigma and something worthless and degrading. So there's Dr. King speaking in 1967 about how oppression works and how institutional institutional oppression and racism works. And, and white people who are listening to my voice right now, I'm not looking to make anybody feel guilty or ashamed. I'm not. The question is, I mean, you can't control what our American history has been. Certainly you can control what you do today and, and what you do and think as you go forward. But let me get back to um, our timeline, okay? So in... You know, in 1955, Dr. King graduates from Boston University. He has a Ph.D. in theology. He's only 26 years old. Six months later, in December of 1955, he's helping to lead the Montgomery bus boycott, which Rosa Parks started when she refused to give up her seat. Between 1955 and uh, 1963, a number of other things happened. Um, you know, Dr. King wrote a book. He nearly was nearly killed when a mentally ill person uh, stabbed him in the chest during a book signing. Um, he cemented his leadership and advocacy with the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And by April of 1963, the Southern Leadership, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference had focused on Birmingham, Alabama, um, which at that time King called the most segregated city in America. And, and in, this, in April of 63, they're focusing on Birmingham because they want to do another boycott. It's Easter season. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of money exchanged to white merchants um, during Easter season, and they wanted to have economic clout. This was a very, very smart kind of boycott. So the Birmingham boycott began in early April with marches and sit-ins. A judge in Birmingham issued a blanket injunction against the protests, and Dr. King and other uh, uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference leaders were arrested and placed in jail. Dr. King was in jail for 11 days. The authorities thought that he was on ice. In other words, that there's nothing that he could do further to harm um, the white supremacist uh, framework in Birmingham, but they were wrong. Because Dr. King had time on his hands, and what that meant was he had time to think. And in that time, he wrote a document that I consider to be among the most important <coughs> contemporary documents in American history. He wrote a document called, which came to be known as the Letter from a Birmingham Jail. It's not any ordinary letter, by the way, because it came in bits and pieces. They didn't at first allow Dr. King any paper. And so he got a newspaper. He had a newspaper, and he started writing this letter on the margins of the newspaper. And then there was a black trustee who brought him bits of paper where he could continue the letter. The letter is very, very lengthy, and if you ever have the chance, please go and, and read Letter from Birmingham Jail. The letter was written in response. Now, now we're back to why I played that clip of Dr. King speaking in 1967, because the letter was written in response to white ministers in the South who had written their own earlier letter imploring Dr. King and, and other leaders of the S Southern Christian Leadership Conference to quit marching, to quit protesting, to quit their nonviolent action, and to wait simply for the courts to come along and, and, and allow them to be, uh, to, to vindicate them and to end segregation. And Dr. King wrote this letter from Birmingham jail in response to them, to, to white men, to white men mainly, saying, wait, wait your turn, wait till things can change. And I'm sorry, I've got to, again, read some things, and I'm, you're just going to have to bear with me. But this is written uh, in a, on, in, from the letter. This is from the letter from a Birmingham jail. The letter is dated April 16, 1863. It's addressed to my dear fellow clergymen. And, um, and, and I'm going to give you some excerpts, okay? He writes... But more basically, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Moreover, moreover, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. 
I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with the narrow, provincial, outside agitator idea. Anyone who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider anywhere within its bounds. We, I'm, and bear with me, please. We have waited for more than 340 years for our constitutional and God-given rights. The nations of Asia and Africa are moving with jet-like speed toward gaining political independence, but we still creep at horse and buggy pace toward gaining a cup of coffee at a lunch counter. Perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television and see tears welling up in her eyes when she is told that Funtown is closed to colored children and see ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky and see her beginning to distort her personality by developing an unconscious bitterness toward white people. And when you concoct an answer for a five-year-old son who is asking, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? Unquote. That letter was written in, 18, in 1963. Much of that letter remains true. In 2019. It is. I mean, some things have changed, thank God. Legal segregation is gone. But much of what else I just read to you is still true. Today. In this world. The letter was written, as I said, in April of 1963. Four months later, it was the March on Washington. And that was, of course, where Dr. King gave his famous, among the most famous speeches in American history, I Have a Dream speech. A year later, in 1964, Dr. King would be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. And then three and a half years after that, Dr. King would be dead. Murdered because of what he believed in. And he was only 39 years old when he was killed. Let us not forget any of this. Let us remember that we white people who are listening right now, we can't fully appreciate what it means to be black. But we certainly can appreciate what it means to struggle. We are all tied together in a single garment of destiny, as Dr. King wrote back in April of 1963. We need to never forget that. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. I know this is a fairly somber show, and, and I, I know that, but the struggle for equality can't be lighthearted. Thanks. I'll do you.
Hey humans, this is me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. Ta-da! I'm putting on another gray area thinking human inclusivity training and I want you to come. It will be at Open Book on Washington Avenue in Minneapolis on Saturday, March 16th from noon to 2 p.m. You can learn more or buy tickets by Googling Eventbrite Gray Area Thinking or by going to the Human is Human page on my website at elliekrug.com. Again, this is on Saturday, March 16th. See you there. On February 19th from 6 to 8 p.m., come sit around the farm table at Seward Co-op Creamery Cafe and learn more about the Cultural Wellness Center, Seward Co-op's February seed recipient. The Cultural Wellness Center is working on a new project that will create a blend of culinary heritage, self-love, and business incubation for African-American food entrepreneurs. Their new cafe space will be a cooperative and supportive environment focused on reconnecting, rediscovering, and reinventing the culinary traditions of our past. Enjoy a meal designed by Creamery Cafe staff and inspired by this work. Ingredients sourced from community foods producers. Tickets for the February 19th Farm Table three-course dinner are $40, and there is a non-alcoholic beverage pairing for an additional $7. Beer, wine, and other beverages will be available for purchase. Tickets are limited, so grab your seat at the Seward Co-op Creamery's Farm Table right away. Visit seward.coop and click on Events to purchase your tickets now. Hey, this is Hunter Haas of the Minnesota Progressive Repartee, and I'm inviting you to celebrate the Blue Wave at the Blue State Ball on Saturday, March 2nd at the Blaisdell in Minneapolis. VIP reception starts at 5, where you can mingle with Tom Hartman, John Fugelsang, Matt McNeil, and all the other AM950 personalities. Then general admission starts at 6.30. This year's ball is sponsored by Howling for Wolves and Northern Sun with food from It's Greek to Me. Don't forget, I'm the DJ of the ball this year, so come party with me at the Blue State Ball Saturday, March 2nd at the Blaisdell. Tickets at am950radio.com. This is Matt, owner of Green Home Doctors. The cold, bitter winter is here, and it's imperative to have your home properly insulated. 40% of our carbon dioxide emissions come from buildings. With today's political environment in Washington, individuals feel out of control in making positive impacts on the environment. Now's the time for us to become empowered by making changes in our personal lives. Call today and take advantage of rebates from CenterPoint and Excel Energy. To learn more about the savings, visit greenhomedr.com. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Catch New Beginnings with Freddie Bell, Saturdays at 11 on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. With your AM950 weather, I'm Sam Turnberg. Today will be cloudy with a high near 26. While tonight we'll have snow with a low around 22. Tomorrow is more snow with a high near 26. Wednesday, partly sunny with a high near 16. And Thursday, cloudy with a high near 22. If you need a space heater or extra blankets to feel comfortable in the winter, that's a sign that your house is not properly insulated. The Green Home Doctors can remedy that. Take advantage of the rebates and great incentives from XL and Centerpoint Energy before it's too late. Find more information at greenhomedr.com. And we're back on Ellie 2.0 Radio, um, talking about um, Black heritage, blacks, the Black struggle of Black people in America. Talking about um, having some idea about Black history, and, and of course, this is about idealism. So this show is about idealists. This is about people who are pushing the envelope. About people who who are not afraid. To push for change. And so I want to go back. And now I want to shift from the historical context to present day. Okay. And I want to talk about Black Lives Matter. You know, again, I'm a white person trying to explain something that I am not living every day. And I'm, but I'm trying my best. And you may be hearing from time to time uh, my voice uh, cracking because I, I, this is a very emotional show for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is. Um, because I, uh, I really want the world to be a, a different way. I do. For everyone. So, uh, Black Lives Matter. 
the movement began as a social media post. That's, that's how it began on Facebook in July of 2013, following the jury trial acquittal of George Zimmerman. You remember that. George Zimmerman was acute. I mean, he killed uh, Trayvon Martin, the teenager, down in Florida. George Zimmerman wasn't a cop. He was a self-appointed um, uh, condo watchman. And uh, he went on trial. He was found not guilty. He was acquitted of that trial, uh, in that trial. And then following the jury verdict, a young black woman by the name of Alicia Garza wrote a Facebook post titled, uh, A Love Note to Black People, in which she said, quote, Our lives matter. Black lives matter. A Facebook friend uh, to Garza named Patrice Patrice. Colors, and I may be mis-saying her name, and I apologize if I am, replied, quote, hashtag Black Lives Matter. And then a third black woman, Opal Tometi, wrote her support for that. And from there, the three of them gelled as a group. Um, uh, this was all organic. This was not intentional. They just began, they had all attended uh, various um, trainings on on how to be more um, more of advocates for the black community, but this all gelled. And so uh, suddenly uh, Black Lives Matter was launched. It, it, it became, and by the summer of 2014, Black Lives Matter had gelled enough that it could organize a Black Lives Matter freedom ride to Ferguson, Missouri, following the police-involved shooting of Michael Brown. Now, here's the thing. There have been police-involved shootings of black men, mainly, of men, but black people, uh, throughout the history of America, but they were never, they were never on the front page of the national news until Black Lives Matter really started to get involved. And of course, you, I mean, part of changing the landscape is about being able to have a conversation. You cannot have a conversation unless everybody is aware. So, since the summer of 2014, there have been hundreds of demonstrations about by. In the name of Black Lives Matter. The, the tweet, uh, the handle, hashtag Black Lives Matter, has been tweeted over 30 million times. Um, the movement has, become, has come to be known as, the hashed, as hashtag activism. Um, and many may recall the December 14, 2014 protest at the Mall of America, where two to 3,000 people were present to police to protest police-involved shootings of black men. And at, that, at the MOA, nearly two dozen folks were arrested for trespassing and disorderly conduct. Um, eventually, those, um, all those charges were dismissed. But it was not easy, and it cost people money and time for that to happen. So several things distinguish the Black Lives Matter organization and movement from something that was happening 50 years ago involving Dr. King and his colleagues and the precursor with Reverend Thurman. First of all, Black Lives Matter is very inclusive, and it, goes, and it goes beyond merely standing against police-involved shootings. Its website, website states that Black Lives Matter affirms the lives of all black LGBTQ persons, of, of folks with disabilities, of women, and of persons who are here without legal documentation. So it's far more inclusive. And in the... You know, in the 50s and early 60s, the civil rights movement um, could not be nearly as uh, inclusive. And as you will see, most of the most of the uh, leadership in the in the 50s and 60s were men and not women. And certainly, they were purportedly, at least on their face, as, heter as heterosexual, although not all of them were. Uh, the three founders of Black Lives Matter um, are all women, but two of them identify as queer, as lesbian. The structural system for Black Lives Matter is loosely organized. There's no central command, unlike in the 50s and 60s with the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Its chapters are asked to commit to some guiding principles, but there is no strict regulation of the 30 Black Lives Matter chapters in the world. In Minneapolis, we have a Black Lives Matter chapter. Nakima Levy-Pounds um, has a prominent role in that chapter. Um, of course, there's been confusion and backlash over Black Lives, black lives Matters. Many white people don't understand what Black Lives Matters um, movement is about. Um, we hear um, often the response that all 
lives matter, which of course they do. But this movement has to be viewed through the historical lens of oppression that has held down African Americans. That's exactly what Dr. King spoke about earlier in this show. You have to look at the history of of African Americans in America and to understand why there needs to be a special hashtag, that there needs to be a special movement, a special um, activism around preserving, protecting, and, and enhancing the lives of black Americans. Um, there have been other counter slogans, of, of course. Um, we've heard the hashtag Blue Lives Matter, which is a pro-police movement. And, and by the way, I am, I am absolutely um, a fan, a proponent of our law enforcement community. I am, absolutely. Of when cops do their jobs and when they do them well, my God, they do incredibly important, brave work for all of us. And they should be applauded for that. But sometimes they don't. Just like sometimes doctors screw up, sometimes lawyers screw up, sometimes accountants screw up, sometimes plumbers screw up. And when that happens, people should be held accountable. There have been other counter slogans, such as White Lives Matters, which was a slogan chanted by the alt-right in Charlottesville in the summer of 2017. In fact, the Southern Poverty Law Center has listed uh, the White Lives Matter group as a hate group. There's much more I could say about Black, Black Lives Matter, but that might have to wait for another show. All I can suggest is that white listeners understand that in many ways, Black Lives Matter is the modern extension of the work that black idealists started in the 1950s and which produced at that time so much social change. Black Lives Matter is producing positive change. It's not without pushback, but it's critical that we white people listen and be supportive. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio. I am an undying idealist. I will never stop believing in the good of humans and the ability of humans to make a difference in the world. And I hope you agree with me. When we come back, we'll do my last segment. Thank you. Hey, humans, this is me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. Ta-da! I'm putting on another gray area thinking human inclusivity training, and I want you to come. It will be at Open Book on Washington Avenue in Minneapolis on Saturday, March 16th from noon to 2 p.m. You can learn more or buy tickets by Googling Eventbrite Gray Area Thinking or by going to the Human is Human page on my website at elliecrude.com. Again, this is on Saturday, March 16th. See you there. Are you concerned about health care reform, deportation, gun violence, the Line 3 pipeline? Learn how to make your voice heard. Register now for the Min by Min Beyond the Vote Conference on Sunday, February 24th at Harding High School in St. Paul. Minnesota artist and Northland Poster Collective co-founder Ricardo Levins Morales will kick off the day as the keynote speaker. The day-long conference features a variety of workshops and activities to help you better understand the issues, boost your activism skills, and connect with activist and advocacy communities across the state. Be sure to visit the exhibitor tables and try out the new hosted interactive walk-up stations. Register today at mnxmn.org. Early bird rates are available through Valentine's Day. Student discounts, scholarships, and child supervision are also available. Or sign up as a volunteer and attend sessions for free. For more details or to register, visit mnxmn.org. That's Min by Min Beyond the Vote Sunday, February 24th at Harding High School in St. Paul. Min by Min, empowering civic engagement in Minnesota. Fearless Five Noir. Five original short plays by five different writers and five directors all on the same topic. Noir. Follow these clues. St. Paul. Fridays and Saturdays, February 8th through the 23rd at 7.30 p.m. Tickets 10 bucks if you gumshoe to the website and order at fearlesscomedyproductions.com or a deal at 15 bucks at the door. Fearless Five Noir on February 8th through the 23rd at 7.30 p.m. at the Mounds Theater. Presented by Fearless Comedy Productions. Hi, this is Charlie. Dad, do I have to say this next line? Do you want to sleep inside tonight? My dad is beloved, world-famous radio broadcaster Matt McNeil. Perfect! Anyway, my mom and dad want me safe when I'm driving in winter weather. That's why the vehicle they trust is the Toyota Sienna, and the dealership they trust is Rudy Luther Toyota. They keep me safe. 
With my son driving this winter, I trust Rudy Luther, and you can too. Stop in today and become a Rudy Luther Toyota family. The southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis, and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. In our busy, fast-paced world, sometimes we need the time and space to figure out the deeper questions in our life. In a safe, non-judgmental atmosphere, Life Coaching with Connie at Awaken Living will help you gain clarity in your life in an atmosphere of guidance, support, and affirmation. You will explore who you are and who you want to become to be the best version of yourself. Connie at Awaken Living will guide you to find the wisdom within you and follow that wisdom in all areas of your life. When you fully understand who you are and what you believe, life can take you in directions you never imagined. You will be gently challenged to grow and learn that change can be good, especially when done from inside. Every choice that we make is a decision about the next step in our lives. And it only takes one step to start a new and incredible journey. Schedule an appointment today by calling 952-452-8583. That number again is 952-452-8583. Or visit awakenlivinginfusion.com. And we're back on LE 2.0 Radio. Um, okay. Um, and so, again, this uh, whole show is about black history, about honoring black idealists. But now we're in my C block where I really actually talk about my work, about my idealism. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, I, I need to just talk a little bit about uh, something I do in the world. And so I've been a big sister through big brothers, big sisters, to a biracial girl. I'm going to call her Jasmine. That is not her name. That's a pseudonym. I'm no longer... I, I was with big brothers, big sisters, with Jasmine for more than... for six and a half years. I've stopped working through the program officially, but my relationship with Jasmine has continued. In fact, if anything, it's gotten more intense. Um, I have been with her since she was... Uh, six years old, so um, seven years old. So she is now going on 14, um, and some days going on 25, trust me. Uh, she is a biracial girl, but she identifies as black. And she has taught me a great deal about um, what it means to be a person of color in our society. So here's a quick story. Three years ago, I had to, it was at uh, Christmas time. I had to go to Southdale, um, the Southdale area in Edina for something. I had Jasmine with me. And as soon as um, we pulled off of 494 onto France Avenue, she said to me, I don't like this area. She didn't give me any explanation. It was totally out of the blue. And I, at that time, chalked it off to a temperamental 10-year-old. I ran my errand, um, and it was evening. It was dinner time. And uh, I, I I asked, do you want to go to a sub shop with me? And she said, okay. And we walked into a sub shop near where I had shopped, near the store where I shopped. And um, we got in there. And then when we got in there, she suddenly told me that she did not want to eat. Um, and, you know, part of this is about trying to teach kids things. So I'm like, well, that's okay. If you don't want to eat, I'm going to eat because I wanted to. And I ordered a soup. I ordered some soup and we sat down and... Um, and I started eating my soup, and I'm trying to engage with her, but she kind of withdrew. Um, and I didn't make, I, you know, sometimes she's temperamental that way. So we've, she's got some challenges, and we're working on those, um, even to this day. But seated next to us was a table. It, at table next to us was a, a white family, a mom and a dad, and two kids. I'd guess the kids were, you know, um, they were both under, under 12, um, but, you know, 8 or 9, 10, around there. And I, and and Jasmine, I mean, she withdrew. She was, you know, she kept looking over towards that family, but she didn't want to talk to me. Um, you know, I'm I'm eating my soup at my pace because I'm trying to teach her some lessons about patience and other things. And um, and so uh, we do that, and eventually I'm done with the soup, and then we get back into the car, 
And then, as soon as we're back in the car, Jasmine told me that she believed that the White family kept looking at her and staring at her the whole time that we were in the restaurant. And I suspect that's why she suddenly lost her appetite. We walked in and she saw white people in there and, and for some reason that caused her to shut down. I assured her that I, the white family was not looking at her, um, but she was insistent on it, that they kept looking at her, and she refused to believe otherwise. And then she said to me this. She said, Ellie, I bet that they, referring to the white family, live in a perfect house with a white fence and have a beautiful Christmas tree. She said, I bet their house is nice and big and clean. And then she said to me, I wish I was white, Ellie. I wish I was with that family. That was out of left field. I had not at all expected that. I tried to explain to her that we have no idea of the house that that family lived in. But she would have none of it. Okay, I came to, of course, understand why she was uncomfortable in Edina because it reminded her of something that she believed is unattainable. It wasn't a lesson that I had expected to learn or be taught by a 10-year-old. But that event has shaped my thinking ever since. We white people can't understand what it means to have dark skin. All that we can do, all that we can do, is to know that we don't know at all and that we need to learn about it and need to have an open mind. Okay, um, March 16th, please come to my Gray Area Thinking event at Open Book. Um, go to my website at illicrug.com or just Google Eventbrite Gray Area Thinking. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. A big thanks to our sponsors, Brending Electrolysis, Contact Bev, and let her know that I recommended you. A big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett has been doing a lot of navigating on this show. And a big thanks to you. And as we close out this show, I want you to listen to Marvin Gaye. Mercy, mercy me. Because it says everything that we need to hear right now. Thanks. All things and what they used to be now. On the oceans and upon our seas, fish full of mercury.